I'm not governed by the fear of what other people say. You've got to open your heart. Well, number one, he's one of the elite offensive players in the game. What is leadership like in today's football world? Hey, we're back. I'm Philadelphia Daily News columnist David Murphy, joined by Philadelphia Inquirer columnist Mike Sielski. Do you remember us? I don't even remember what you look like, to be to be quite honest. The last time I saw you, we were in Minneapolis and kind of shaking our heads over uh, Nick Foles and Brandon Graham and a whole bunch of stuff. Well, you're not missing much. Um, True that. I, I wouldn't think you missed much. Listen, I, I can't. I literally can't even remember the last time that we spoke with each other on the internet and the no, digital this is, audio the this way is we're our doing right now. This is our first podcast of 2018. Uh, it is our first podcast in a post-Eagles Super Bowl world. Uh, it is uh, a monumental day, and we're glad to be back with all of you. I think that's what happened. And just so we can avoid you guys hanging up right away, we have Matt Breen on the line. We're going to be talking Philadelphia Just so we can Phillies. avoid having Matt Breen hang up on us. Yeah, we're going to be talking uh, the Philadelphia Phillies, Jake Arrieta, uh, we're going to break down that signing in depth. We'll probably get Matt Breen's uh, final four picks. I'm eagerly anticipating those. I don't know if, if you guys know this, but Matt Breen and I are involved in a little uh, extracurricular uh, gambling, I think you might call it. Y- you might. Pool. You might. Um, Bro Bucks. Matt Breen. Bro Bucks. Is that going on this year? What's up, guys? Yeah, Bro Bucks is going. And uh, I haven't even had a chance, honestly, with. Just the Arietta stuff going on at nighttime and everything. I haven't even sat down to a bracket. I looked a little bit at the spreads for the first day, and I have a couple free picks. I'll give you. All right. Well, don't but give people a reason to listen. Now. Don't don't tell them right away. Yeah. Give, give, we got to tantalize them a little bit. You so call a hotline for them. Yeah. So Matt is in Clearwater, Florida, where it is a lot nicer than Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Lucky him. Uh, what is it like? Eighty and sunny down there, Matt. It's actually cold. I honestly just turned the heat on in my place. Wow. Hey, Matt, did you lose it's your like power 60, for... Th- 60 and chilly. And Matt, did you and lose your power like, you know for three days? kind of cold. Did you lose your power for three no, days? No, I didn't. I didn't then I don't want to hear it, Matt. Either. Don't want to hear I it, know, Matt. I'm just, saying, I'm just saying I did put on, put the heat on. It's not cold, but it, it, was, a, it, was, it was Florida cold. Well, this might surprise you, but it is 40 degrees and overcast here in the beautiful city of Pennsylvania. City of Pennsylvania? I'm sorry. Uh, or city of Philadelphia. Where are we? I don't even know. I'm still discombobulated from the Super Bowl. <laughs> um, Matt just got done watching Jake Arriott uh, throw a bullpen session. We'll get his impressions of that. He also got cut off by Jake Arriott in traffic. Um, I don't know if I was supposed to tell you that, but Matt told me, and, and there are no secrets. Um, so we're going to get we're gonna get Matt's impression of being cut off by Jake Arriott in traffic as well. Um, and uh, we will probably after Matt leaves us, have the uh, the 15 to 20 minute mea culpa session that you and I have been desperately trying to avoid <laughs> avoiding, which is why we have not podcasted uh, since Nick Foles. I don't know if you guys uh, were here at the start of this podcast, but it, we really kind of rose to fame um, um, and stardom based on our 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 prescient um, <laughs> and penetrating critiques of uh, all the moves Howie Roseman made at the yeah. beginning of his return to power. Um, yeah, I mean, I haven't even been able to... Y- y- you haven't seen me. I haven't seen myself because I haven't been able to look at myself in the mirror. Uh, Nailed it! Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, but anyway. We'll get um, to that. We'll, we'll get, get to that. We'll get to that. First, though, the Phillies. As you may be aware, Mike Sealski, I don't know if you heard this, the Philadelphia Phillies have signed Jake Arrieta. I, I had no idea. Uh, 32-year-old pitcher. I saw a large bearded man on TV at 9 o'clock on Tuesday morning. Some, I wasn't some, sure who it was. Somebody emailed me after I, I spent 16 to 20 hours of my life writing my, my beautiful, precious words about the signing. And I got an email the next day. It didn't tell me to go die, which so that, that was a <laughs> That's step That's always up. a plus, yes. It's always a good way to start your day. Um, but it did. It just said in the subject, and again, keep in mind, I, I really spent a lot of time in this column. Yeah. Um, I mean, I thought it was a, an award winner. Um, congratulations, by the way, on your, your APSE award. Thank you. Um, uh, and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm feeling really good about myself, and I wake up the next day, and, this, and, and I get an email, and it just says, Beard. In the subject line. That's it? And then I opened it, and uh, it just said, why does Jake Arrieta and all these baseball players wear this ugly-looking beard? Question mark, question mark. <laughs> that was the question that you presumably should have addressed in your column, is facial hair? Um, so, yeah. Um, anyway, 32-year-old right-hander. He will be slotting in... Um, I guess behind technically Aaron Nolan in the yeah. rotation because Aaron Nolan will still be your opening day starter as Gabe Kapler informed us this week. But he uh, he upgrades this rotation. Um, the question is, will he be ready for, for the first week of the season? And for that, we turn to Mr. Matt Breen, uh, who has been patiently binding his time for the last five minutes and 27 seconds in his condo in Clearwater, Florida. Matt, how did Jake Arrieta look today in his bullpen session? I thought he looked fine. I, I, it's hard to judge. You know, they're not facing hitters. There's no strike zone or umpires, but he didn't show any discomfort or anything like that. It would be a long session. It lasted probably about 15 to 20 minutes. He threw um, somewhere around 50 pitches, 45 to 50 pitches. And he said afterwards that, like you were saying earlier, he still expects to be ready for the season, which is, I was a little surprised yesterday when he said that just because, you know, they signed him uh, three weeks before opening day, but he's been throwing in Texas um, as he waited to find a team and building the arm strength. He said it's totally built up and he'll be ready to start the season. So if that means, you know, if he, he, if he's ready for the start of the season, that would mean he would start game two, but the Phillies could also change that to mean he's ready for when they actually need you know a fifth starter and that would be april 11th and it, it kind of lines up well that if he's not ready to go second game of the season they could go the first like two weeks of the season with just um nick pavetta and aaron nolan vince Velasquez, and jared eikoff and then get to the 11th because of off days then throw arietta there and then there's an off day on the 12th and then the 13th would be Nola's turn in the rotation. So it would be like a natural um, turn to have Arietta and Nola back-to-back if he's not ready to go game number two. But he's under the impression that he'll be ready to go game two of the season. So we'll see. Why, why don't we start like this? Mike, what, were you, what was your thought? Let's start from a big picture before we sure. get into bullpen sessions and uh, pitching rotations. What, what was your thought when, when they signed Jake Arietta? Um, you were just down there a couple weeks ago mm -hmm. with Matt in, in Clearwater. Wh where, how does this move the needle, as the, uh, the political pundits would say, <laughs> on the Philly season? Does does their does the first does the tens place? Wait, yes. 
does the first number of their win total this year change in your mind based on this signing? I, I think it not necessarily um, because I, I had them looking at around a 500 record. And so Arietta's presence, I think, probably pushes them into the high 80s from the low 80s. Um, I think it puts them more firmly in the wild card race, um, whereas that might have been kind of the edge of where I would have had them going into the season. I think it f- places them firmly within that kind of stratosphere, for lack of a better way of putting it now. Um, I was not surprised by this, if only because John Middleton, the team's principal owner, had made it clear uh, both in conversations he's had with other media members and in conversation he had with me the day of the Carlos Santana signing press conference that he did not mind and, in fact, wanted Andy McPhail and Matt Klintak to spend money, that it was simply a matter of finding the right conditions under which to spend that money, i.e., go out and get a pitcher but and, and spend what you have to spend in the short term, but keep it in the short term. Um, and that's not a mandate, obviously, coming from Middleton. That's coming from Klintak and McPhail and their, you know, insistence that we're not going to pay for, you know, premium costs for pitching over a longer period of time. And so to get Jake Arrieta for three years, $75 million, I wasn't surprised that the Phillies held out to that point, and I wasn't surprised that that was the kind of deal he got. I guess I might have been a little bit surprised that they were the ones who ended up with him that Arietta couldn't find a team that would go to a fourth or fifth year. Um, but that's kind of how I was looking at it. Certainly there seems to be, and Matt can, can testify to this as can you, that there does seem to be a different vibe around this team clearly from the last few years. It's certainly different from, you know, 13, 14, 15, where it's the old-timers are kind of hanging on. We're trying to wring the last drop of greatness out of Chase Utley and Ryan Howard and Jimmy Rollins, and everybody kind of knows it's really not going to happen. Uh, and it's certainly different from the last couple of years where it's, in a way, kind of every man for himself, and if you show an inkling of potential or talent, we're going to give you an opportunity to earn your spot. This is, hey, we have Reese Hoskins. We think he's going to be good. We have a surplus of young outfielders who we think have the potential to be good. We now have Carlos Santana. Aaron Nola is a terrific starting pitcher. Let's get this thing rolling, and I think the Arietta signing accelerates that and is an indication of kind of the Phillies taking this thing where they wanted it to go all along. I, I think that's a great phrase, ring the last drop of greatness, which stands in contrast to you and I who are still trying still to ring trying the to f- first exactly. drop of greatness. Exactly. Matt, where does this move the needle on the Phillies season? Are we overestimating Jake Arrieta's impact? Um, three questions. One, are they, what, what did their odds of finishing 500 go f- what were they before and what did they end up with after Arietta signed and do you believe they can actually make a push uh for the wild card yeah i think you know if you spend 169 million dollars in nice. the offseason the goal has to be to reach the playoffs and i think that's that's the goal is if i'm you know not not obviously the phillies goal but if i'm a phillies fan or an onlooker like this team is is being built to reach the playoffs this year and and in the future, and I think that's a a, like, a likely goal to to reach. I don't think it's out of reach to say they can compete for a wild card spot. I think 500 is was already the goal when you when you added Santana and the, the bullpen pieces. But once you go and get you know a frontline starter to pair with Aaron Nola, I just I don't see how you know you you couldn't think that this is you know a team that is a playoff team or a team that can compete for the playoffs. 
Like, I'd be shocked if we're talking on September 1st and, you know, they're not even close to being in the hunt for the playoffs. All right, so I just want to I want to pin you down a little further because you, you, you kind of equivocated a little bit there. You said it should be their goal. Not really. It's definitely their goal. Is it is in your professional opinion, Matt Breen, who has watched this team through thick and thin over the last couple of years, who has studied their roster more intently than all but a few human beings on the face of this earth, are the Phillies a playoff team? But like, what do you mean by a playoff <laughs> team? Are they gonna like? Are you no? Are you like asking me to like? I'm saying like if I playoffs, if, or? if I said if I said Matt, let's make a bet that the Phillies make the playoffs. What odds? would I have to give you for you to take that bet? Like, would you say it's 50-50? Um, like, if I'm wrong, I owe you uh, one classic hoagie from Wawa. If you, you're right, you owe me two classics. So, I, I don't even know. What gonna, side, I'll say. What side I'm are we on? I think they're going to go to the playoffs. So, you're saying they're going to the playoffs. I, 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 think, they're, I think they're a playoff team. If I say they're not going to the playoffs, well, you can bet even money? Or 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 I feel like I would still have to give you odds in my opinion, Mike. Well, I mean, yeah, well, yeah, Mike, you'd be I'm, the you'd be the arbiter of this. I'm sure in Vegas, I'd be the underdog. What what is the what is the Wawa classic glad, hoagie line in Vegas? I'm not I'm not familiar with that. The classic hoagie line just came out in Northeast Philly, and they okay. have is that anything Philly's like the Jersey Mike subs two, two line? Nah, Jersey Mike subs. I wouldn't feed that to my dog. Okay, Jersey but, Mike. Um, of course, Sealski would come with the Jersey Mike's <laughs> reference. You are Jersey. You are Jersey Mike's eater. That's what yeah, you are. You I am are not. Jersey you're, Mike. You're, you're I am not. A, I, first Jersey of all, Mike's. I was born in New Jersey, so technically I am a Jersey Mike. Yeah. But secondly, I've never yeah. had a Jersey sub, Jersey Mike sub in my life. You're, um, never. You're a carpet bagger from New York. <laughs> Back in New York, Mike. You, you sound like uh, eleven thousand <laughs> of my thirteen thousand Twitter Twitter followers right now. Uh, wow, you have thirteen thousand Twitter followers, Mike. That's that's pretty cool. That's that's only half as many as Murph has. Uh, <laughs> though I didn't have to pay for mine. Half half of them are half of Yo, them. but yeah, I I think I think they're a playoff. Half team. of them I, are Russian. You know, Jake Arrieta's here and Aaron Nola's here, and they have a pretty good lineup. Scott Kingery's going to be in the majors this year. I think he's going to be, you know, a really special talent, just like Reese Hoskins was. And and I think they're a playoff team. Do, do you not think they're a playoff team, or where, where do you kind of see them? That's to you, Murph. I I, I think they are. A team that can win probably anywhere from eighty-five to ninety games. I, and I think that's. I think anything beyond that is, cr- you know, kind of crazy. And I'm even, uh, you know, I'm hedging a little bit because I need to feel better about the back end of the rotation. Um, you know, and I think I, I think we need to see more from some of the lineup. But I certainly, you got to like what you've seen from Hoskins. Um, I don't think it's wrong to be optimistic about what he can do and what he can be. Um, you know, Santana, you know, is a is a good productive. You know, top of the lineup to middle of the order hitter, um, you know, and, and their bullpen has improved. So, uh, you know, like I said, I think they are. We're looking at like eighty six, eighty seven. I think would be they should if they if they end up there, they should consider themselves pretty happy. You want to talk about back end of the rotation? There's some stuff coming out of your guys' back ends right now because this team is not. A, you, can't, you can't. Okay. You can't call this playoff. What is Jake? Is Jake Arrieta gonna hit cleanup? And is he like? <laughs> I mean, is, this is a guy who pitched 168 <laughs> innings last year. I mean, I, I think it's a great move. I think I think it vaults them into the. I don't think you can rule out a playoff berth now, um, but which, which I definitely think you could have beforehand. But but I mean, to call this team a playoff team, they still have who's going to pitch games? You know, days three through five. Actually, Breen, that, that you know, we have you here. We should probably ask you that. Who's going to pitch games three through five? <laughs> days three through five. It's actually just going to be. Uh, 
Jake Arrieta. It's going to be Arrieta and Nola. Uh, Arrieta and Nola and they're not going to. You know what? It. Put me down for 102 wins. <laughs> That, yeah, I mean that's the biggest question mark is three, four, five, and and how the steps that those guys take. Because before you signed Arietta, you had, you know, it was Nolan four question marks. Now it's it's Noah Arietta and three question marks, and I, that that's the concern is for sure the starting pitching. But I think you know the bullpen is is pretty good. I think the lineup's good, um, and you have two those two pitchers. If you know, unless Arietta totally falls apart, that's a pretty good one-two tandem that I would put up against, you know, a lot of teams in the National League. All right, let's let's do that then. W- which teams would you put that one-two tandem up against? Let's go. Let's go team by team in the National League. Um, let's see. We'll start. So let's start with the NL East. We'll go uh, the Washington Nationals. Would you put them up against Scherzer and Strasburg? No, but that's so. That's like oh, that's you're already making premier. If you start at the top, I'd say I'll, no. Let's I'd just go team by team. Obviously. You, we got we got all the time in the world. Let's go team by team. So all right. So not not Washington, the Mets, Syndergaard, um, and Degrom, and Degrom. Uh, who knows if they're <laughs> even going to be on the you know when are, are they pitching in June or July? All right. Well, we'll okay. Well, I'm asking you. This is uh, I'm just I'm the one who's asking. All right. Um, Marlins definitely. Braves definitely. Braves, de- definitely. Although I like Julio Teheran. Cubs. Who do we have that? Tell me who these two starters are. Lester, um, a guy named you Darvish. Yes yeah. or no? I don't necessarily dislike that matchup. What, what matchup? Yeah, I don't. That's not meaning that as one sided as it once was. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, do you give a slight edge to Lester and Darvish? Yeah, yeah, I suppose you do. Edge, but just based on track record, but it's not like out of reach. That obviously, like when you say Washington, uh, yeah, obviously Washington, but Chicago, uh, maybe. Um, I don't even know who's pitching for the Pirates anymore. Uh, Jamison Talon and and who else? Steve Blass, maybe. Steve Blass. He's <laughs> no, he's he's John trying, Candelaria. He's trying to work his way back for the Sixers. Oh yeah. Um, right, Steve Blass had the li- yep. Yep. No? Yeah, he had the yips. Right. Like, see, I got. I'm picking up on your '80s there references. You go. 70s, actually. Um, you are the oldest. I'm the oldest 42-year-old You're, you're the, the oldest young-looking person. I, I, I can say that definitively. You're the oldest young-looking person I've ever met. That's, it's, a, it's kind of a nice combination. It really is. Um, because I can come off as wise and yet still look like Tom Cruise and Jerry Maguire. Like, did you just grow up watching like uh, USA Network your entire life? Like, TBS. TBS. Big TBS guy. Big Superstation guy? Yeah. And um, what's the... Um, uh, I used Christian, to think Zach Berman was the oldest guy. Christian Broadcasting Network, quite a bit. I could see that. <laughs> I could definitely <laughs> see kidding. that. Um, all right, the Pirates have, let's see. Uh, <laughs> Ivan Nova, Ivan Chad Cole, uh, or Jameson yeah. Stallion. Right. So I think I'll it? take the two. Right. So uh, we get your point. I no, mean, no, no, no. I'm, I'm actually wanna, I'm curious about this. I, yeah, but we have listeners to think of here. You're going to go through all We have listeners no to think cares. of here. All yeah. right, all right, all right. Um, so I, I get your point, but... By the same token, not every question necessarily. I, you know, I think I think where where Breen and I are coming from is, if y- you can't necessarily expect, while you can't necessarily expect greatness from you know, uh, this podcast certainly not from this podcast, but up and down the lineup, um, you can't expect Nick Williams to be a thirty home run guy. You can't expect you know Reese Hoskins to 
to hit and produce at the same level he did last year. Um, I think they've shown you enough to be optimistic, and I think... Yeah, I'm just trying to pump the brakes on the old hype train here. Well, I don't think necessarily like 84, 85 wins is a is a hype train. I think I think anything above think, that is like whoa, you know. Then you pump the brakes. But I don't think six games over five hundred is necessarily. Uh, I think giving me even odds on that is 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 a little ambitious. I mean, I'll take your guys' money. I'll take your Wawa hoagies any day of the week. I'm just trying to make sure it's a fair. It wasn't hype. even money. It was two. For, I'm getting two. You're getting one. What are you going to pay for those with? Oh, you're getting two. I'm getting one. So it's two to one. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll give yeah. you that. So I'm. Um, I said I'm still the underdog. I'm not. I'm taking the the odds. I got you. I just think that I, I. I honestly like I got. So I got married last October and. Congratulations. The joke was like, oh, the Phillies are going to the playoffs. No, I was just thinking about, thinking about this the other day. Like, if this was this October, like I would actually be a little worried. Like, crap. They might make the playoffs. Where last year I was like, yeah, right, they're not going to make the playoffs. Like I, I know I'm safe in October, uh, I got but you. this October I'm a little, I'd be a little bit nervous because I, I, I can see, you know, I can see them making the playoffs this year. It's more tangible, it's more possible. And if I'm gonna, if you're gonna make me bet and put a gun in my head, I'm, yeah, I think they're gonna make the playoffs. Just so pe- people might not even understand what you're referencing, but when you're a beat writer, you kind of have to plan your entire life around the the baseball schedule. Yes, you do. Um, and so Matt Breen last year scheduled his wedding in October, um, which would have been completely de- – what would have happened if the Phillies went to the World Series? What would you have done? I think Sorry. I would have just got married. Yeah. Say, you know yeah. what? Sorry. Have fun. I'm sure some, that guy who used to cover the Phillies that, that, that left us, he could have covered the team. Come on. Tara would have, Tara would have been understanding, wouldn't she? <laughs> Yeah, she. Uh, yeah, she would. She, she. She could have got like maybe a stand-in or something, and I would have went and covered the Phillies game. Yeah. So what you're saying is now, honey, you... I would love to marry you, but it's Game Three of the NLDS. I mean, come on. So this season, you would you would tell <laughs> you would tell your uh, you would tell your wife we can't do October. I'd probably say we got to do November. Yeah, I don't. I. I, I but not early November because that could be the World Series by now. It would have been booked already, and then they would have signed Arietta. And I'd be nervous right now, so I would have to go through the whole season feeling nervous. Um, so my next question is: Is there any chance that they make another addition? Because Alex Cobb is still out there, at least last I checked. Yeah, uh, Matt Klintak said he expects them to be done, okay. but uh, I, I mean they have all the money to make another addition, and like you wrote, this this contract doesn't affect them you know, long-term anyway. So if you did the same thing with with another pitcher and then, you know, you took away those, if it's Nola, Arietta, and three question marks, now if you add Nola, Arietta, Cobb, or, and then two question marks, I think that would be, it would be, it would make sense, but I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. But I, 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 if they did it, I would think that was, you know, a pretty smart move. The Phillies are currently 55, uh, 45 to one to win the NL pennant this year. Um, they are. No, they, don't, they don't have to get the pennant. They just got to reach uh, that wild card game. They, right. Second wild card is what I can see them doing. Right, right but that the, their odds of doing that are priced into their odds of winning the National League pennant. Sure, but that's – They are two different things. Right. All I'm saying yeah. is that Vegas – I'm not sure Vegas shares your uh, your estimation of, of the impact of Jake Arrieta. Uh, anyway, what else have you seen out of this team, Matt? 
Actually, we should ask Mike. What, what did you see out of this team when you were down there? What did you think of old Gabe? Uh, you know, I, I liked Gabe. I think um, having been around Pat Croce and been around Rex Hudler, who are the names that you, at least I do, often hear Kapler compared to, I find Kapler, and maybe you guys will disagree with me on this, I find him a bit more sincere than either of those two guys. Um, I liked Croce. Obviously, I liked what he did with the Sixers while he was here. Um, you know, but certainly with respect to Hudler, I always kind of felt like you guys are really, really, really selling me something here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're really trying hard to sell me on this thing that you want to have happen. I got a little bit of that from Kapler. I didn't get as much of it as I did with those two guys. And so I, I, I found that kind of encouraging. I think this is, you know, I think he's following through on what he promised to do, which is to say, you know, l- let's let's rethink the whole what is it like to exist and thrive in the world of baseball as a player, you know, over the, the length of a whole season. And what is the way to uh, – to make everybody as productive and happy as possible. And I think that that's something that did require some rethinking um, with the way technology has changed, with the way society has changed, all that kind of stuff. And so I'm open to seeing how this all works, and I'm open, I'm optimistic based on that. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be a great team. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to make the playoffs. But I'm really encouraged by just kind of how he carries himself, how he seems to interact with players, um, and... I'm curious to see what kind of the the results of that are. Buster only said this week, um, at least this is what I saw that he said on Twitter. Uh, Hopefully it wasn't just a a bot or something, but he said that he would be, uh, he would bet all his money on Manny Machado going to the Phillies. I think he said this on 97.5, the fanatic. Interesting. Um, Matt, what do you make of that? Um, the Philly. First of all, what do you make of their payroll situation after signing Arietta? Um, and is there any chance this has any impact on on their ability to maneuver next offseason? No, it has zero effect on that because long term they have, you know, after twenty this is a twenty nineteen they have Arietta, Adubo Herrera, and Carlos Santana on the books. Everybody else is either. Um, pre-arbitration contracts or arbitration contracts. So there's really no money on the books already committed. So they can spend just as much as they were going to spend before signing Arietta um, next winter. And Machado makes sense. The, this is a front office that comes from Baltimore that actually, that obviously attracted them to Arietta. They knew him, they know Machado, they're attracted to him. Um, it's been like, like you, you saw Arietta coming three years ago that this would be a guy once he got the free agency that still would be in the mix for same with Manny Machado that, you know, once, you know, you target his free agency date, everyone's been saying that it makes sense for him to go to the Phillies. And I think that's going to just pick up as the year goes on and the Phillies have a need at if it's at third base or shortstop, whatever position Machado wants to play, um, you know, JP can play third Franco can, you know, move on or do, do whatever they do with him and, and there's Manny Machado sliding right in the short, or he just takes over a third, whatever it is. And I, I just think it makes sense. I could, of the two, Harper or him, uh, Machado would probably be the more uh, real, re- realistic target. So the thing that sticks in my mind, like this is what I, I, I think it makes perfect sense too. I think the Phillies mm-hmm. are not going to be 
I don't think the Phillies are going to be outbid right. for Manny Machado. I'll put it that way. But I, I can't get it out of my mind that, you know, Baltimore's not a small market team, is it? Um, you know, and, and this is not the Wild West like it used to be. You know, this is not when the Yankees could sign Teixeira, a, you know. And CC Sabathia. And CC all, all in the same, and, and Nick Swisher all in the same offseason. Um, I mean, the, the luxury tax is a very real thing now. And, you know, it kind of, as we see in the NBA, it kind of, you know, equalizes everything. Um, why wouldn't, if a team like, if a team cannot afford to re-sign Manny Machado, then w- what use is, is anything in life? You know, like why, like why would the Orioles let him get away? Mike, I mean, like that. I mean, the Orioles, haven't the Orioles always kind of operated? You know, on ownership and a small market mindset. Yeah, I mean, Peter Angelos is not the cable rights and everything. Yeah. Back in the day, they spent money, didn't they? The day was a long time ago. But I mean, he was there in that day. Yeah, I mean, something may have well, changed. Well, that was spending like to get like Albert Bell or Alomar. Like it was different types of money in the nineties. I mean, recently, you know, once contracts took a big upswing, they they haven't really spent. Them, you know, money comparable to what the Phillies used to spend. They were never in that in that territory. So, that, so you, so all right. Let's look at the Orioles' payroll. They, they the Orioles had a hundred sixty-four million dollar payroll last year. A lot of that to Adam Jones. And what, I take what, it? Where did that rank? Uh, I mean, the luxury tax is one. I mean, it, that, that's what I'm saying. Is it doesn't necessarily matter where it ranks if everyone's under the luxury tax, and the luxury tax is one hundred ninety million. Um, I mean that's only fifteen million dollars on the luxury tax. Uh, I'm not. I'm not challenged. I'm. 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 You know, convince me this because this is the. Has, I. I think it makes perfect sense too. I think the Phillies will do whatever they can to get Manny Machado here, and and then I think they will do whatever they can to get you know other people here too. Do you think John Middleton would pay the luxury tax to get Manny Machado? That's, whoa, we just lost Matt. That's not good. Hang on. Matt Breen clearly didn't want to pay the luxury do tax. Do you think he while I'm while I'm calling Matt Breen back, do you think John Middleton would want to pay the luxury tax? Not having asked him, I would say yes. I think he does. I think I just do. I think he he wants to win. I think he likes to a certain extent to fancy himself as a twenty first century the twenty first century answer to George Steinbrenner in, a, in an odd way. I think he likes the idea of spending the money and, and generating buzz, and I think he's been, um, you know, impatiently kind of biding his time, understanding what McPhail and Klintak have been telling him about. Hi, this is Matt Breen of the Philadelphia Inquirer. <laughs> I'm sorry I missed your call. Be able to leave a message. I'll call uh, you back. I hope Matt Breen didn't die. <laughs> that would be bad. At the tone, please He had a heart attack. Do you think he uh, got mad at me? I don't know. Good question. Maybe his cell phone di- battery died. Um, that that could be. We have been here for a while. We have. Um, yeah. So so let's see. I mean, you you you've covered Middleton longer than I have. Do you do you think that's an inaccurate read? Um, I don't know because I I I have not really covered him. I mean, I've covered his team, but he's mm-hmm. only really become a presence over the last yeah. two or three years. Yeah, that's true. Um, uh, Breen would probably be the better guy to ask. Um, I I just hope he did not, you know, fall into a wormhole. <laughs> so uh, here's what I'm saying. Um. And again, I'm just kind of playing. I'm kind of talking this out in my own mind because I, it, everyone kind of takes it as a fait accompli that that, is that, Which, how, is yeah, that how fait accompli it? that fait. Uh, that he's leaving. Um, but I mean, the Orioles did just sign Chris Davis um, to a seven-year, hundred sixty-one million dollar contract. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think they will re- are probably already regretting that. 
Probably, um, yes. But, like, I mean, they're on the hook for to paying him $21 million over the next one, two, three, four, five, six seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, Adam Jones is making $17 million this year. So, okay. So they've only got, look, they, they've only got, in 2019, they have $34 million, $53 million on the books. Okay. So, w- again, w- w- what makes so us think, what makes us so certain that, that Machado's leaving? Well, I think... I don't think it's a certainty that he's leaving, but it's certainly a you know a distinct possibility. And if you're Machado and the Phillies, you know, are a 500 or above team this season, and the Orioles struggle, would that be a factor? If you perceive the Phillies to be on the rise, and you perceive the Orioles to be stagnating, are your friendships and camaraderie with Chris Davis and Adam Jones enough to keep you there? Um, I don't know about that. I don't know Manny Machado well enough to know. Uh, but I would think that would be a factor. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm kind of an absolute – I'm kind of a, I don't know, reductionist, I guess, when it comes to baseball contracts. I think it always comes down, down to, to money. The money. Um, I, I, I really don't – I can't remember a time when someone really left a lot of money on the table to go sign somewhere else. I mean, even the Cliff Lee thing. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't leave all that much money right. on the table, you right. know? Um. So I, I mean I think it's going to be whoever gives him the best contract, uh, and yeah I'm I think it's going to be a fascinating, fascinating yeah. uh, uh, situation, especially yeah. in the light uh, especially in the light of Harper because if the mm. Phillies are able to get Machado, and Harper does go to the Yankees, or another team that's not in the National League East if it doesn't if he doesn't come back to the Nationals, boy all of a sudden the balance of power in that division can change quickly. Um, you know, and again, we've got a long way to go to get there, but but that's if you're if you're a Phillies fan, and if you're honestly if you're Matt Clentak or Andy McPhail or Gabe Kapler, that's kind of what you're pointed towards here, and and what you're what you're banking on is that this season the Phillies show themselves to be an attractive place to be for a place like Manny Machado. Harper goes to the Yankees, who are going to throw an incredible amount of money at him, presumably, or whichever team throws an incredible amount of money at him. And all of a sudden, the, you know, the best player in the division is no longer in the division. Right after the previous best player in the division, Giancarlo Stanton, is no longer in the division. And you're looking pretty good if you're the Phils and you suddenly have Manny Machado. And whoever else might have stepped forward in 2018 to show themselves, uh, you know, to be a core part of your future, whether it's Hoskins, Kingery, Williams, Altair, healthy over a full season, who knows? That's that's the dream scenario if you're the Phils. So I'll I will counter my own I will counter my own uh, argument. I th- I think the I think the the argument is that the Orioles would never have have explored trading him this off season if if they thought they would resign him. They would resign him. Um, and you know I think that's that's why you know in all likelihood he is leaving next year. Um, I, I I'm curious. I'm also curious how much. It's not just a question of whether John Middleton's willing to pay the luxury tax. Not that he'll have to right. in this instance, but the, the question is how much more willing to spend is he than than Hank Steinbrenner? Yeah, because um, the Yankees, last I checked, are in need of a third baseman as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they just traded for Chris Drury, but Chris Drury ain't Manny Machado. You know what I'm saying? No, no. But if you get Bryce Harper, do you do they need an outfielder? You you've got. Three outfielders and a designated hitter in the lineup every day. So, 
you have at least one spot where you can have an outfielder you don't need um, and just put him in the lineup every single day. Um, you know, so, I mean, plus they're the Yankees, and the Yankees, for better or for worse, logic or, you know, logical or illogical, have this history of going after the number one player on the market regardless of position, and they make him work. They make it work or try to make it work or think they can make it work. I mean, I guess I guess. I mean, they had a shortstop in Derek Jeter, and they still went after Alex Rodriguez. So, you know, because well, I mean, I, I got it, but th- I mean, this is a valid it, it, this is a valid consideration. They have uh, John Carlos Stanton in left field. Mm-hmm. They have Aaron Judge in right field. Those two guys are not they're not going anywhere. Right? Can Bryce Harper play center field? Can Bryce Harper DH? I mean, he has. I mean, Bre- Bryce Harper has played center field, obviously. But mm-hmm. but the question is, you know, is that um, is that a place where where he can play? That's one consideration. Then obviously you have the de- you have the um, yeah you have the DH, and yeah obvi- yeah I guess he could he could he could definitely slide. One out. of those three guys can DH. He can just rotate it if you're the Yankees. Go go Kapler like and say, well, you know, we'll just have one of those guys. You know, we'll rotate them around the way Kapler's going to do it in the outfield with Hoskins and presumably Hoskins, Williams, Herrera, and Altair, um, and get them all the at bats they need. Yeah, I just don't know that. Uh, I, I'm interested to see what 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 happens with Bryce Harper because I know that the you know thinking is, has been that he will be a Yankee, but you know, I don't know. Do do, do the Yankees trade for for Stanton if they're planning on making a play for Harper next year? I, I, you no, know, I don't think that necessarily stops them. Well, they're ba- I guess, but I guess what I'm saying is they have they have to- they have tons of outfield talent. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and the, it's one of the strengths of their system as well. Um, Aaron, we haven't even mentioned Aaron Hicks, who, who right. had a huge year last year. Um, I, well, they don't have to keep Aaron Hicks. Well, I know, but I mean, we're, we're we're they're still bound by the laws of economics, like everybody else. Where you know, does it make sense to to you know, as good as Bryce Harper is, you know, if you've got I mean, the substitution principle is still in play, you know. Um, I don't know. If you're the Phillies, would you make a play for Bryce Harper? Sure. Why not? Uh, because, again, you have – there's – I mean, yeah, sure, why not? I would sign every, every, every yeah. the best player at every position for <laughs> sure. as much money as he can, but mm-hmm. that's not how it works. No, like I he, know it's not how it works. But but if, if you thought that Bryce – there was a legitimate chance of Bryce Harper coming here, there are moves you can make to make that happen. You know, you move on from a couple of those other outfielders who you already have, um, and you do what you have to do to make room for a Bryce Harper, don't you? Um. Well, I mean, case. In but point, again, that's way ahead it, of us. Like, like, no, I would rather have Manny Machado than Bryce Harper. Okay. Well, that's fair. So no. Okay. Um. But what if the Yankees think the same thing? I don't know. We have to see how this year plays out. We're speculating. What, that's what we, we do. That's what I know. That's what I understand that, but it's it's a it's a it's really difficult to do that when. You don't know, for instance, what Reese Hoskin is, is in his first full season of Major League Baseball, or Nick Williams is, or um, you know what you might get, wh- what might happen with Michael Franco, and what you might get for him in the meantime, if you know such an opportunity even presents itself. So, um, you know, I know this. I know this. This problem that we're confronting, I have no doubt now that Howie Roseman would be able to solve it. Uh, Would you, wouldn't you agree? I don't know if I'm ready for this. <laughs> it has to be done. Um, it has to be done. No, I mean, look, look. Uh, I, I'm curious. It, 
I've just lost all all faith in my own ability to, <laughs> to understand the Eagles. I mean, yeah, like as Les said on the uh, on the Twitter today, you know, he mentioned how he was hoping they would sign Nigel Bradham because Les thought that they should re-sign Nigel Bradham, but nobody, you know, nobody's gonna listen to any criticism of the Eagles front office if you know, right, <laughs> right, you know, like. Say less. How he won a Super Bowl. If he thinks it's right for Nigel Bradham to leave, it's right for Nigel Bradham to leave. Exactly. Um, I mean, personally, I think Nigel Bradham was a huge part of last year's defense. But but the point is, it's like really hard to second guess anything that these guys did. I mean, thought I thought it was ludicrous that they they signed Nick Foles. You know. Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, they were paying. They had, they paid like forty million dollars the quarterback position. Three of the two of the guys not on the roster and Chase Daniel and Bradford. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, Brad. <laughs> Sammy B. Sammy B. You know what I find funny about this? Not that not that Sam Bradford is getting twenty million dollars, okay? Which is not a, a figure commensurate with his history, his ability to stay healthy, or even really his production, right? I mean, we, we all acknowledge that it's a function of the market and and premium quarterbacks. I get that. What I find amusing about this is that the you know, and I I understand like I'm setting up a straw man here, but we we hear all the time about how NFL players uh, are underpaid. They don't get their money. They don't. You know, it, the, the system is stacked against them. They don't have guaranteed contracts. And if you're an NFL player, you should do everything you have to do to get paid whatever you can possibly get paid, as much as you can, as quickly as you can. And kudos to anybody who does that. Like you saw a lot of this on social media yesterday. Good for Kirk Cousins. This could be a trailblazing moment because he got three years, all the money's guaranteed. Three years, $84 million all guaranteed. Well, nobody feels that way when it comes to Sam Bradford. Sam Bradford gets paid, and everybody's like, nobody ever says, like, good for Sam Bradford. Everybody says, what the hell is Sam Bradford getting that money for? You know, and yeah. look, I, I, you know, I'm not here to tell you Sam Bradford's a great quarterback. I'm not even here to tell you he's a, he's a very good quarterback. But... He, I will I will cop to this. He is somebody I root for in part because I think what he has come back from to continue his career is really admirable. I think it shows a lot of guts. Um, the fact that you would tear the same ligament in your knee twice and then come back from that and continue to play at a relatively high level speaks to something within him that's pretty good. And so I will not join the chorus saying, can you believe the Arizona Cardinals gave Sam Bradford that money? You know what? Good for Sam Bradford. He could have hung it up a long time ago, and he hasn't. And I admire him for not doing that. Yeah, I mean, I th I think I think the talk of, of Kirk Cousins setting a precedent is absolutely ludicrous. I, I kind of do too. You know, look, man, it's a marketplace. Like you can't. I just think the media struggles to understand marketplaces. Like, mm -hmm. like in a perfect world, yeah. Like you know, we could just like everything. We everything that should happen will happen. But the per the world is subject to supply and demand. And guess what? In, in the NFL, Sam Bradford fills. A demand more so than than you know um, you know Kenyon Barner or right. Demarco Murray you right. know like, that's just how it works like and that's how that's how life works yeah and I think to to bring this back to where we started the Eagles conversation and the mea culpas we need to we need to deliver I think one of the things that you and I missed comes back to a discussion of markets which is and I and I wrote about this this week um, is that to Howie Roseman's credit I think he found a part of the market he could exploit which was if, if, the trend, if the trends in the NFL are towards accumulating draft picks and getting younger because younger means more cost-effective, then there's 
an advantage to be gained from maybe spending a little more money on the right kind of veterans to have them come in and um, smooth over a team's locker room culture, you know, um, kind of buy into whatever team building your coach wants to wants to create. Uh, and I think that goes a long way to explaining why the Eagles did what they did last year, in addition to the presence of Carson Wentz and the coaching of Doug Peterson um, and those sorts of things. I think I give them credit for that because I didn't I certainly didn't see that. I give them credit, but I don't think that that I like. Look, what we learned about the Eagles is they had a very good run, you know, like just yeah. like Joe. Fl- like, so like it, it goes back to the whole Joe Flacco thing, you know, like you got to be careful not to what like is Joe like Joe Flacco won a so w- when Joe Flacco won a Super Bowl mm-hmm. like you know for the next year everyone went back and you know talked about oh you know this is why Joe Flacco is so great this is what you know he's done the entire time because he won a Super Bowl and then it turns out the four years since then Joe Flacco Joe Flacco yeah, he had a good six year, you know Joe, Joe Flacco had four great games the Eagles yeah. were a an elite team the entire no, season No I know but what I'm saying what I'm saying is is that they were they were an elite team a because of Carson Wentz and B because of Doug Peterson, um, and then after that they got they they had a great run. But I'm not sure that we can like you can't you can't you can't you can't look at the blueprint and say like you know oh how he knew what he was doing like they they knew what they were doing the whole time like like uh, this no, is like no, Reservoir Dogs or something like that. no I'm I'm not suggesting that they knew suspects. going in that they were going to win a Super Bowl or they knew they had a great team. What I'm suggesting is that they made a smart play. They, they Give them credit for saying... Oh, yeah. Okay, give them credit for saying, you know what, if we go out and instead of having the next man up be a young kid we just drafted and maybe instead have him be Corey Graham or mm-hmm. Patrick Robinson, that there's an edge to be gained there. And... That was some forward thinking and some different kind of thinking based on the way the league was trending. They kind of went against the way the league was trending in that regard, and it worked. Um, you know, I think I, I think that's pretty astute. And I and it, and it wasn't just they were nine and seven, and this is why they they ran through the playoffs right. and got hot. It was they were thirteen and three. Oh, absolutely. You know, they were. You know, the idea that they could like one of the things to kind of go back on this because we haven't had a podcast in a long time like one of the most mystifying things to me in the lead up to the Super Bowl was this whole idea that like the Eagles were this upstart like Mm -hmm. they were 13 and 3 on merit and they destroyed the best defense in the NFL in the NFC championship game with a backup quarterback any who anybody who went into that game thinking that they didn't have a really good chance of beating the Patriots you had not watched them you must not have watched a minute of that team all season I guess what I'm saying is they got they got great quarterback play and great coaching yeah, like I think like that, like we we, like we can overcomplicate things, you know. Like I think that I think that every move that Howie made this year worked, mm-hmm. you know, and I I give him credit for it, you know. I I think you know everything worked. It, it's a mind-boggling thing about this team. Like they, yeah. literally everything that had yes. to happen, everything went right for this team all season. Except long. for you know the prospective MVP, Terrence. But I'm saying in terms <laughs> of like it, 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 when you're talking about. Um, I mean, it, maybe even that went right. I mean, Nick Foles led them to a Super Bowl, you know. <laughs> like it was, <laughs> I, and the loss of Jordan Hicks and Darren Sproles well, yeah. and Jason Peters. I mean, right. But what, what I'm saying is everything, like 
for them to for them to be able to overcome that stuff that happens in a se- in a football season like that's not they weren't necessarily anymore i mean the patriots were without their starting left tackle and and mm-hmm. you know uh a lot of diff- a lot of different guys mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying is everything everything that ha- had to happen for them to to actually make it through all that mm-hmm. uh, the attrition of an nfl season happened and, and it's an amazing thing and i still i can't even wrap my head ar- i still can't even really wrap my head around it no you know? i can't like, either i really I, I have a tough time i've se- i've told the story before but um that night the night of the game uh as soon as the game ended you know you know you and i and a dozen other writers from this place were on deadline trying right. to file our columns and stories and we had what three minutes after the game ends to file and as soon as I did, I went to the back of the press box and brought my phone with me and called my dad because my dad was my mom and dad were home. They had like 12 friends and family members over to watch the game. And I called them and I all I said was, look, I got to go downstairs and keep doing my work. But can you believe they won the Super Bowl? Like mm. this team that we had been watching all you know all our lives that people have been watching for some of them, some people, 57 years since they last won a championship. And it still kind of hasn't sunk in yet. It, I, you know, and I don't mean that as a fan. I mean that as like wrapping my head around the idea that the Eagles are the best team in the NFL, mm-hmm. and everybody kind of acknowledges that. And they are, whether it's because everything worked out as well as it possibly could have, or whether it's because they really are at the cutting edge of this. They're they're the top of the food chain now. Oh, People absolutely. are looking at them and saying, okay, what what is what are they doing that we're not doing that made this work? And that's an odd place for them to be. Um, right, really but I can't, but that's what I guess that's where where I where I and I, and I wasn't meant to to you know I wasn't trying to diminish what what the front office accomplished this year. Um, I'm just saying what did what is that blueprint? Like I can't even really figure out like what is the uh, you know like I mean he went out and he, he signed the he signed the, I mean he just max he signed Alshon Jeffrey was the best wide receiver available. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't. I don't know that it was just you, that. You know, he tra- the Jernigan trade was great. I mean, he just. I mean, it wasn't. There were a lot of like short term moves, and I think that was always my my concern with with what they were doing is that um, like the Jernigan thing. Like mm-hmm. you trade back twenty picks in the first round. You know, and again, it turned out. It, it in hindsight, they were absolutely the right moves to make because it worked, and they won the Super Bowl this year. And I'm. St- I'm just but not sure gets, what okay. like what did they like, but okay, it all but happened in one year I guess I is what I'm saying that. is it's like it's not like this was like a methodical like boom 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 like this this all happened in 18 months right but okay so so what did they do they took a more calculated risk they took a calculated risk on Timmy Jernigan right based on a sample size that he had already shown in the NFL mm-hmm. based on knowledge that presumably Joe Douglas among others Andy Weidel had of him right okay. And said, based on what we know of him and based on what he's shown in the NFL, we're going to take this calculated risk that the guy who's spent some time in the league and has this potential and who our guys know is going to prove better to us than whoever we might have drafted 20 picks earlier. They did the same thing to an extent with Jay Ajayi. They did the same thing to an extent with Alshon Jeffrey. I I mean, in a way, I'd argue that Jeffrey is kind of the consummate example of this in that, you know, you really had to, in a way, you had to look hard to see that because of the drug suspension, because he had not played a full season in three years, and yet here's a guy who played the entire season with a torn rotator cuff. Um, was there necessarily anything in his background that would lead you to say, that's the kind of guy Alshon Jeffrey mm-hmm. is? I don't know. Maybe there was, and maybe they knew it. 
Um, and if they did, okay, maybe that's the advantage they're exploiting. Yeah, I just, I'm not, it's like so many different things worked out right. It's like hard to even like, like I'm, I'm fascinated to see how they, what they do with this team as, as they, as they keep going, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it is. I think, uh, you know, I wonder if they adjust again, you know, I mean, because, you know, remember how, and how he came up marinating in Joe Banner's thinking of you, you gather draft picks and you sign mm-hmm. young guys early and keep them here and all that. And in a way, he's broken from that. Right. He's, he's at the forefront of saying, wait a minute, you know, let's not necessarily do that. That while you have a terrific young quarterback and he is cost effective in the first three or four years he's in the league, short term is the way to go. As long as you get the right short term guys. Don't get Doriel Green Beckham. Mm-hmm. You know, go get Alshon Jeffrey and Torrey Smith. Um, and maybe that's, maybe it'll change again. And, and Howie in the front office will figure out what the next machination is yeah you know, it's, the next iteration is it's uh and i think that's part of why i don't even really have much to say about it because i just haven't even like it, like this was this was one of the this was the most stunning super bowl victory that i can remember you know in my football watching life um i mean just just from their complete lack of reliance on 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 you know homegrown drafted and developed yeah. guys i mean you know I really think Doug uh, I think we're gonna look back and realize how good of a coach Doug is. Um I think that has a has a very big part to do with it. I think he's a great play caller. We've talked about mm-hmm. this before. Um but like yeah, like I, I still wanna see like they still need a draft, you know? Like it, yeah. it, it's it's I think that's what's what's it like throws you for such a loop because like was there how, how good was their draft even last year? I don't know. Like we haven't even. I mean, Derek, Barnett, yet. Derek Barnett's great. Yeah. But like you know, Donnell Pumphrey looked like a bust. I mean, he was a fourth rounder, but but uh, I mean, Rasul Douglas Rasul didn't didn't look awful. Yeah, I mean, he didn't really play. No, I mean, he played a fair amount early in the season. I and then he stopped playing. Yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. I think to get to your your Doug point, what what I think is interesting and that that kind of I want to watch moving forward, and I think this does depend on the the psychological and emotional makeup of the roster to a great degree is that one of the things like I thought his aggressiveness and his willingness to go forward and forth down and, and those sorts of situations perfectly complemented his personality in that if he had been a hard ass disciplinarian, mm-hmm. the players wouldn't necessarily have been as loose and accepting of the way that he coached because you have to be loose in those moments, Mm -hmm. you know, when it's fourth and goal and you're going to run the Philly special in the Super Bowl, you got to be loose. You got to be, Hey man, this is what we do all the time. No big deal. Let's go with it. And I think his personality helps in that regard. But I also think his having the kind of guys that they had helped in that regard. Like Nick Foles, pure raw football town aside is kind of like a like Andrew Brand called him like a flat line kind of guy. Didn't mm-hmm. get too high, didn't get too low. It's like, hey guys, I mean he's the one who suggested the Philly special in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to see that that's like there's a lot going on there, but I, I'm curious to see how that plays out in years to come. Does he does he adjust that at all based on the nature of the team he has? Or is that just the way he's gonna be from now until the end of his coaching tenure? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know it, it's uh it's gonna be fascinating to watch it is team. it really is it is uh, you know i i i mean we haven't even touched on what the quarterback is going to look like once he comes back from this knee injury yeah i mean i think he's i mean i don't know like there's been a lot of quarterbacks that have come back from acls you know yeah um 
I mean, I, I, I wouldn't expect them to look at all that much different. Um, but again, like it's, it's, I guess to to circle back to what I was originally getting at, the NFL, the more and more I realize is just such a year to year thing. Yep. Yeah. I mean, the the Falcons look like world beaters last year, and then all of a sudden they come back and they just look like absolute slop this year. Yeah, because um, literally because, I, I would argue, I don't know if you agree, literally because their play caller changed. I think that's what it is, but yeah, I think that's what it is. But but it's uh, I'm going to be very interested to see what, the, the interesting question to me is, is this the start of, you know, um, you know, the Eagles, Patriots like run right. Um, I, I'm I'm going to be very interested to see where, in the grand scheme of things, you know, upon Carson Wentz's retirement, where this year, mm-hmm. uh, like how we look back, yeah, on it, you yeah. know, like what what. I mean this 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 team's going to turn over too, you know. Sure. I mean it's it's amazing how many you know. They don't really have a core, you know, in terms of no. Uh, their core is Wentz. Their core right. is Wentz and Peterson, and you know it sounds crazy to say, but. If you think back to the beginning of what the Patriots did, the core of that was Brady and Belichick. Mm. And the team, you've discussed this before, pointed this out, and rightly so, the team that won, the first Patriots team to won the Super Bowl that beat the St. Louis Rams and the greatest show on turf looks and looked and played nothing like right. the one that has won in recent years. I mean, that was a defense special teams, hey, Tommy, you're a nice young quarterback, don't mess it up situation. And now it's the complete opposite where – you know, Brady has to throw for 500 yards in the Super Bowl just to keep his team in it. Yeah. Um, otherwise, they don't belong in the field with the the opponents. So, um, maybe that maybe that's maybe that's all it takes is a really good coach and a really good quarterback, and yeah, you can you can be in there, be in it every single year. Um, we'll yeah, find out. It's, it, we will find out. Um, I did just get a text from Matt Breen. He did not fall off the face of dead. the earth. That's He's good. not dead. He's not. Uh, Jake Area did not. Go after him in a road rage incident. Uh, we didn't even talk about that. Matt we'll get back to it. Jake Carrier, we'll get that back. Um, all right. Anyway, um, thanks for listening. Maybe we'll try to keep this up. Yeah. <laughs>